Hello everyone. I'm going to ask for a show of hands. Okay, how many of you have been hurt by someone? Someone was disloyal or someone who betrayed you or hurt you deeply? All of us have. Okay, one more question. I want you to raise your hands on this question as well. How many of you have hurt someone? You were disloyal. You betrayed another. You hurt someone deeply. All of us have. As you well know, being hurt by others and hurting others is a product of the fall of man. Our actions, deeds, and words often hurt others. None of us are exempt. And here's the crazy question. Why is it? that those we hurt the most are often those in our committed circle of love, our spouse, our children, our parents, our dearest and closest friends? Well, the answer, we're all sinners, products of selfishness. To be honest, this lesson gets personal quickly. And this lesson goes to the depths of my heart, my intentions, my motivations, my actions, and as a kingdom believer, I have hurt others deeply, especially the one I pledged my love to in marriage. You ever been there, husbands? You ever been there, wives? I know you have. Our, our actions, our words hurting the one that we've pledged to love for a lifetime. And here, here's what I know about humanity. All of us have been hurt by someone, and all of us have hurt others. In our study of the Lord's Prayer these past weeks, forgiveness is the only topic which gets an addendum following the Amen. I mean, Jesus said in his prayer, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Last week, we discussed the first half of this verse, forgiving oneself, the shame in our lives, which often creeps in and holds us hostage. And we discussed, we discussed how the gift of God's amazing grace is necessary to forgive ourselves and displace the unhealthy shame in our lives. And if you haven't listened to the sermon, I, I implore you to do so. And today we discuss how we are to forgive our debtors, those we have hurt and those who have hurt us. Jesus' instructions include two aspects of forgiveness. Forgiving our debts, asking God to forgive our wrongs, as we all have forgiven our debtors. Did you notice that little phrase in the last half of that verse? Our forgiveness from God is conditional. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Notice that little phrase. As we also. There's action in those little words movement toward those who have harmed us. God forgave us, therefore we must forgive those who have forgiven us. Now don't skip over this. This is very important. As God is forgiving me, I'm forgiving those who have wounded me. Now this is why Jesus has a caveat on this subject following his prayer. And listen to these words that he adds. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So we see it, don't we? We hear the words of Jesus on this subject, don't we? And yet many of us 
carry with us unresolved hurts in our lives. We can't let go. And instead of the offender being the one who is suffering, we bear the weight of anger and frustration and pain because our unwillingness to forgive, to to let go. It's as, it's as if we're carrying a five-gallon bucket of rocks with us everywhere we go. But James, you don't know the hurt they caused me in my life. You're right. You're right. I, I don't know the hurt they have caused you. But I can see the side effects. Our MO, our mode of operation is to love our neighbor and hate our enemy. Even those who at one time were in our committed circle of love. And, and I get it. I get it. I, I do. I do. I really do. Our hurt, our anger, our pain, if unresolved, builds into hate and resentment. It's our response to the deep and unfair pain in our lives. We often hate the individual and not the malicious way in which they harm, the harm occurred. We, th- we say things like, you traitor, you cruel person, you, you evil no-good scoundrel. We hold them responsible and blame them for hurting us and we pronounce them guilty. But most of us don't show that side of ourselves to anyone. We deny the hate and often hide it even from ourselves. And yet this bucket of hate we deny we carry often limits our love toward others, does it not? We transfer the hate of the perpetrator to those in our committed circle of love, or at least they used to be in our committed circle of love. And we wonder why most of our friendships have become superficial. All right, today I would like to help all of us who hold sustained wounds learn to forgive. This is important. This is also important to God. And I believe forgiveness is at the heart of Christ's kingdom movement. If we're going to be kingdom believers, forgiveness must be a practice of all faithful believers. Now, again, I'm going to borrow heavily from another book by Lewis B. Smeads called Forgive and Forget. He's probably one of the most foremost authorities on forgiveness. And I'd encourage you to get this book and read it if you're struggling to forgive so as we continue this discussion, let me ask you another question. Have you noticed that there's levels of hurt in our lives? Levels of harm and injury to an individual? All right, let me prove this. Do any of you husbands have a thing that annoys your wife? I mean, every time you do it, your wife gives you that look. Wives, you know what I'm talking about. Those little things which are more a nuisance or an inconvenience and just drive you nuts. And no, I have never done this to Deborah. These little inconveniences do not rise to the level of needing forgiveness. It's what it is. It's, it's who we are. We live with it and move on. We're annoyed. But these do not rise to a level where forgiveness is needed. There are other things like this being slighted by a friend you know when we're forgotten or not appreciated for what we do or even even the little disappointments in our lives when one does not live up to our expectations if we asked for forgiveness for every annoyance slight or disappointment we would be repenting and seeking forgiveness daily would we not but there are other levels of hurt for which forgiveness is a must now, let me give you three levels of hurt in one example to kind of illustrate them all. All right, here's the first hurt, disloyalty. You know, many of us have bonds of loyalty with friends and family members. We expect those 
in our circle to be committed to us. And when a promise is made and is not kept, or a favor alone, a secret, it prompts distrust. Dis disloyalty hurts, especially if it occurs in one's circle of committed relationships. And some of you have been carrying around that bucket of hurt for a long time. Here's the second thing. Betrayal. All human relationships are built on trust. When one betrays another, that trust is often lost. It's understandable the hurt one feels when we're sold out for a price. Can anything hurt worse than a friend's betrayal or a spouse's betrayal? Number three, brutality. It's difficult to forgive when one is physically or mentally abused by someone we know or even if we don't know them. When one is reduced to being less than human, it is difficult to forgive. Now, let me illustrate all of this with one story from Scripture. And remember, this story is about the perpetrator, the one who is disloyal, the one who betrays a friend, the one who is brutal toward the individual he has committed. The story is in 2 Kings chapter 8. It's not a familiar story. It came across it the other day in my daily Bible reading. I'm sure there are many other stories which could be used as an illustration, which are probably better, but let's look at this story. All right, the kingdom of Israel, for which Saul, David, and Solomon ruled, has now been divided. There's the kingdom of Israel, and now there's the kingdom of Judah. And some 80 years after that division of kingdoms, Elisha is one of the prophets on the scene. He speaks on God's behalf. He speaks to multiple kings of both Judah and Israel during his tenure. His prophecies also do not go unnoticed by other kings in the land. We pick up the story when Elisha is on his way to Damascus, the capital city of Syria or Aram. And remember, we're trying to identify the three levels of hurt which one has a difficult time of forgiving another. Disloyalty, betrayal, and brutality. So see, see if you can recognize each in this story. Now Elisha came to Damascus. Benadad, the king of Syria, was sick. And when he was told that the man of God has come here, the king said to Ahazael, Take a present with you and go to meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord through him, saying, Shall I recover from this sickness? So Hazael went to meet him and took a present with him, all kinds of goods of Damascus, forty camel loads. When he came and stood before him, he said, your son Benadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this sickness? And Elisha said to him, Go, say to him, You shall certainly recover. But the Lord has shown me that he shall certainly die. And he fixed his gaze and stared at Hazel until he was embarrassed. And the man of God wept. And Hazael said, Why does my Lord weep? He answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the people of Israel. You will set on fire their fortresses, and you will kill their young men with the sword and dash in pieces their little ones and rip open their pregnant women. And Hazael said, What is your servant, who is but a dog, that he should do this great thing? Elisha answered, the Lord has shown me that you are to be king over Syria. Then he departed from Elisha and came to his master, who said to him, What did Elisha, Elisha say to you? And he answered, 
He told me that you would certainly recover. But the next day he took the bedcloth and dipped it in water and spread it over his face till he died. And Hazel became king in his place. Well, did you catch the three characteristics of hurt? The disloyalty, the betrayal, and the brutality? It was easy, wasn't it? I mean, each one of those characteristics were almost over the top. And just think of the pain, the frustration, the hurt his action caused to family and other members. If you were on the other end of a Hazel's disloyalty, betrayal, and brutality, would you be able to forgive? Now, I know this was an outrageous example. And more than likely, none of us will encounter the hurt and harm in this story. But then again, you may feel like you have. When one is disloyal to you, when one betrays you, or even those of you who have experienced intense physical and mental anguish, you know the difficulty of forgiving that individual. It's hard. It's near impossible. And that bucket of hurt, we just keep carrying it everywhere we go. And this is probably the most important point I need us to grasp when it comes to forgiveness. And I've said it before, but it needs to be repeated often. Forgiveness is an action of one. Forgiveness has nothing to do, listen, listen, forgiveness has nothing to do regarding the person who harmed you. Reconciliation now requires two individuals, two. But forgiveness is something we must do by ourselves. But you often ask the question, or we often ask the question, well, what happens to the wrongdoer? Yeah, that's a question which must be put out of our minds if we're going to release this bucket we carry. See, forgiveness requires spiritual surgery. Somehow, some way, we need to separate the act of the offender from the offender himself. My bucket full of hurt will never be empty if we are seeking reconciliation because it may never happen. Now, we hope it does. I hope it does. I hope that that two who are at odds can come together in harmony. And we all shoot for that. We do. But, but forgiveness does not rely on the process of reconciliation. Forgiveness is deciding. Listen, listen to me. Listen to me. It's deciding to change one's outlook toward the offender even if reconciliation is impossible. See, forgiveness is letting go. It's not forgetting. It's not excusing their behavior. It's not about accepting what they have done, and it's not about tolerating them. For most, we can forgive almost anything, but we can't tolerate everything, can we? All right, listen to Jesus' words again. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Why is this so important to Jesus? Why? We forgive because we have been forgiven. God does not hold our sins against us. God does not have a bucket with your name filled with all your sins and is carrying it around. Why? Because if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Brothers and sisters, the blood of Christ is continually cleansing us from our sins. God has no need of a bucket. Yes, our walk with God is conditional. 
God honors the choices we make in our lives. And when we make Christ our choice and walk in His light, God's bucket is always empty. He forgives and forgets not just once, not just seven times, not even just 70 times. It's, it's endless. In other words, when we honor God, He has a hole in His bucket. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted and forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. All right, James. This is all interesting, and I know I'm supposed to forgive others if I expect to be forgiven. But how do I forgive people who don't care? How do I forgive myself? How do I forgive that monster in my life? How do I even forgive God? I wish I had all the answers to your questions. I mean, each of these situations are unique and require diverse and often lengthy explanations. But there are a few foundational ingredients to remember in the forgiving process. And let me give you four, if you don't mind. Number one, forgiveness takes time. Very few are able to forgive immediately after an infraction. Most of us go through a grieving process. There's that often that shock when the infraction occurs. I can't believe this. Pain then enters into one's heart. Anger comes next. And sometimes even depression sets in. And after some time of prayer, counsel, and more prayer, there comes this upswing. When I realize, when I realize I have the ability to choose how this ends, we then reconstruct our thought process and forgive. And this whole process does not happen overnight. This is why forgiveness is often a slow process. In 2 Samuel chapter 13 through 18, David never fully forgives his son Absalom. You remember the circumstances which surrounded Absalom's infraction. Absalom murdered his half-brother Amnon because Amnon raped Absalom's sister, Tamar. And years and years went by with no resolution. David, a man after God's own heart, almost lost his kingdom because he could not face his son and come to the terms with the hurt in his own life. So forgiveness can be slow. Here's two. Forgiveness brings insight. If we fully understood everything in the other person's heart and why they did what they did, there would probably be no need for forgiveness. But we don't. See, we don't know what's in their hearts. And we don't know what was on their mind at the time. And, and, and listen to me. We often don't fully understand what's in our own heart, do we? I mean, there are often insights in our own hearts and minds which we need to discover. And that's difficult when one is hurt. But it's necessary. I love this verse from Psalm which speaks to our hearts and our minds and how we need to change. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there are any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. When we allow God and His Spirit into those deep places of our heart and mind, insight is revealed regarding the offender and about ourselves. Number three, forgiveness is often confusing. <laughs> Who's the bad guy here? Who did it to whom? How badly? Which, which one of us needs to forgive and which one of us needs to be forgiven? And if both need forgiveness, 
Who needs it the most? Who makes the first move? Wow, there's just so many questions. And at the core of wrongful pain, there's often just a mess. Is there not? Confusion, confusion demands we step back and evaluate. When the infraction occurs, most of us invest so much time and emotional energy in the infraction that we can't even see straight. So take some time for contemplation and reduce the expectations and, and learn to quit keeping score. I remind you of Jesus' words in Matthew 5. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. All right, here's number four. Forgiveness doesn't always relieve the anger. You know, when one is truly wrong, that wrong becomes a lasting reality in one's life. When one forgives another, we are to heal our hate for that person. But see, it often doesn't change the facts, and it may never undo the circumstances. And whether we want to or not, we can't forget the past. We cannot forget the pain, the suffering, the hurt. Every time we think of the incident, anger rises in our hearts. And here's what I've learned. When we recall the hurt from the incident, that anger, which only occurs because of the infraction, we can live with that anger without hate. See, our goal, our goal is to lose the passion for malice. Malice is the desire to inflict injury, harm, or suffering on, the, on another. Because of the deep-seated pain for which they have brought into our lives, malice is what keeps that pain alive in the raw inside of us. So when one feels anger without this malice for an infraction which occurred months or even years ago, that anger can also push us toward a hope of a better future. Listen to these words of Paul. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So if you're carrying malice in your heart, admit it. Malice is our fleshly nature overpowering our spiritual nature. Put it out there before God and let him handle it. I mean, every man will give an account of his life, whether good or bad, to God. Leave the retribution in God's hands. Pray continually that God will work on your heart and remove that malice, the lingering hurt and pain. And as we conclude today, I, I want to give you a clue as to how one knows if they're on the right track toward forgiveness. You will know forgiveness has begun. Listen, when you recall those who hurt you and you have the power to wish them well instead of seeking revenge. So how are you doing toward your healing? Now, I know you recognize this. There's always a good guy and a bad guy in every forgiving crisis. Someone has hurt someone else wrongly and deeply. One person needs to forgive and another person needs to be forgiven. But when we look closely, we discover that both individuals need to be forgiven by someone. I need to let you in on something we do all know but rarely grasp. None of us are innocent. 
we're not as pure as we feel. Just because I've been betrayed, cheated, maligned, or abused, that doesn't make me a good person. Reinhard Niebuhr kept telling us years ago, there's a labyrinth of motives in every heart and every action, both good and evil, is the consequence of a complicated debate and tension within the soul. Brothers and sisters, we are all too complex to be pure. This is why each of us needs the saving grace and cleansing blood of Jesus, is it not? Listen to this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, brothers and sisters, as ministers of reconciliation, what do you need to do this week to reconcile with one to whom you are estranged? Do you need to make a phone call? Do you need to write a letter? Do you need to make a visit to someone? Do you need to do some work on yourself? Oh Lord, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Maybe this week our work begins with a simple prayer. It goes like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I pray God's richest blessings on each of you. May his presence be with you and give you peace in this new year. And if your bucket is full, look for ways to empty Pale. I love you all. May God bless you.